The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 10. Glory, Glory to you, to you o Lord. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Maker and Redeemer. Amen. If it seems like today's Gospel reading is yet one more verse in a song whose theme you've heard before. It's because today's gospel reading is yet one more verse in a song you've heard before. Multiple times, in fact, in our gospel readings of late as we've worked our way through this portion of the Gospel of Mark, not to mention the countless more times that you've absolutely heard countless more verses of this same song in your news feeds, social media platforms, and daily lives. This is a song with a great theme. I mean that literally. It's a great theme. Indeed, this song's theme is so great and so desirous of greatness, and these days oftentimes too so awe-inspiringly presented and acclaimed as it steps to the podium or walks down the runway with a Bible in its hand and a nation's flag draped over its shoulders, with the result being that it's so very easy to lose sight of this theme's one great weakness, that being that there's no Jesus in it, at least not the Jesus whom we meet not at political rallies but in the Gospels. This morning's Gospel of Mark verse of this song begins with an opening line sung by James and John when they pull Jesus aside to say, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Oh, my goodness, greatness. A word of advice, beware of the prayer that begins, God, I want to tell you what to do. Because, of course, that is a prayer whose primary theme is, my will be done. And that, of course, is a prayer whose primary goal is to change God, 
according to my desires, to get God to run the universe, or at least my particular little corner of it, guided by my incredible insights and wisdom. And to be sure, Jesus did say elsewhere that we can, in prayer, ask for anything, and so we certainly can, and boldly at that, but context, context, context again, he said we can ask for anything in his name, which no doubt means a lot of things. But one thing it surely means is the humility of acknowledging that whatever we boldly ask and expect him to say yes to should somehow be in accordance with his values and desires. For as we, I think, often do have the impression that the primary purpose of prayer is to change God according to our will, in fact, a more important purpose for prayer is for us to be changed according to God's will. But James and John weren't interested in that. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And to the degree that this request is so ludicrous as to be almost funny, I tried to imagine Jesus answering them with a twinkle in his eye. It's just that I couldn't get past the picture of him answering them with sorrow in his eyes. As he says, perhaps even with a sigh, and what do you want me to do for you? He asked, but the reason I wonder if he did sigh is because I'm pretty sure he already had a pretty good idea of where this was pretty much already heading. These disciples of his, after all, James and John in this particular verse of the song, but all of them in other verses, are the same folks who regularly manage to get into arguments with each other as to which of them was the greatest of them and who also each time of late, when he, he in his understanding of greatness, he in his absolute greatness started talking about crosses to be carried, asked him either to shut up or change the subject. So he asked, but surely he wasn't shocked. When they answered, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. There's the understatement of the year. And then he said, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink from? And they said, yes. There's the overstatement of the year. And Jesus said, you will indeed drink the cup I drink from, which was his way of saying that faithfulness was going to lead him to a place where there would be a suffering price to pay for it. And whether they understood it at this moment or not, the day would come when faithfulness would lead them to suffering too. But then Jesus said, but the rest of what you're asking isn't mine to give. Our second reading these recent weeks has been from the book of Hebrews, which says that Jesus come to earth was not just fully human, but also perfectly human. And here we see that therefore even for him, that means submitting to a will that is greater than his own, which we see most dramatically clearly, of course, in the verse to that theme he will chant in the dark shadows of that Thursday night, when with blood sweating from his brow and Satan whispering in his heart and Jesus leading the sin, Judas leading the sin and hate of the whole world his way, 
He prayed, asking as boldly, as honestly as he knew we can, Father, can there please be another way? I don't want this way. We aren't told then whether what he heard in response to his prayer was silence or a still small voice or the rustle of angels' wings. But what we are told is that what Jesus in the perfectness of both humanity and divinity then went on to pray was this prayer. Father, thy will, not mine, be done. James and John, on the other hand, in the verse of the song they are singing in this scene were precisely not chanting that prayer. For what they precisely wanted was for their will to be done, which meant not only they wanted Jesus to pat them on the back and thank them and congratulate them for being the very best followers he ever had, they wanted him to do that publicly. When the glory got here, they wanted Jesus to say, come on up here, you guys. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to tell you I couldn't have done it without these two. Let's just all give it up for James and John, the best disciples a Savior ever had. And when the other disciples got word of this, they, Mark tells us, not surprisingly, were angry. Except, of course, that in their anger they didn't say, Oh my goodness, didn't, don't James and John understand that greatness isn't about being recognized and rewarded and thanked and praised for following Jesus? No, 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 no. You know that's not what they said. Because you know, even though Mark doesn't actually tell us, you know that what they said, what every one of them in one way or another said, was wait just a gosh darn minute. If anybody's going to sit at his right hand in glory, it's going to be me. And by now we don't have to guess, right? By now, even with absolute, without being told, we surely absolutely know that what Jesus next said, he did say with such incredibly, incredibly deep sadness in his eyes. Because as Deacon Pam pointed out in her sermon last week, at this point a corner has been turned in Mark's gospel, and the direction it's turned is toward Jerusalem, which is to say that all of this is just taking place actually probably now just weeks away from the betrayal and the arrest and the denial and the trial and the torture and the cross. And he has so been trying to ready them for that, but they still don't get it. They don't hear. They don't comprehend the verses of that hymn that he in his life has been singing his whole life long. They don't get that it's not about receiving, it's about giving, it's not about being thanked, it's about being thankful, it's not about being what somebody does to lift you up, it's about what you do to lift somebody else up, it's not about being rewarded, it's about being faithful, it's not about being applauded noisily, it's about being, well, being like Jesus, including oftentimes quietly and unnoticed noticed and unthanked or even opposed or even stapled to a cross. But they still didn't get it, of course. They didn't get it at all. 
And so one more time now, with the cross now clearly on the horizon of his gaze, that cross being where he literally would give his all for all, he said to them, and he says to us, you know that in this in-your-face, I'm-number-one world, most of those who are recognized for their greatness flaunt their greatness. Yes, we do know. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That said, of course, they still didn't get it. For the melody of this world's songs were still earworms. They just couldn't quiet. And so when the cross was just hours away, he would try one more time. He would try on that Thursday when he would take a towel and a basin of water and kneel down to wash their hot and tired and dirty and surely stinky feet at the end of a long day. And why would he do that? Because somebody needed to. And he was just never the type who said that that somebody should be somebody else. Somebody not as important as somebody like me. An old t story, as best I can tell, it's historically true, but it makes a point either way. It's from the American Revolution. When, says the story, a man in civilian clothes and on horseback rode toward a group of soldiers repairing a defensive barrier. It was hard work. And it had been raining, so it was muddy work. One of the soldiers was standing aside shouting instructions, but may, making no attempt to help, even though it seemed pretty obvious that help would be helpful. Asked why, the rider, by the rider, the one barking the orders said with great dignity, Sir, I am a corporal. The stranger apologized, dismounted, and proceeded to help the exhausted soldiers. The job done, he turned to the corporal and said, Corporal, next time you have a job like this and not enough men to do it, go to your commander-in-chief and I will come and help you again. And with that, it is said, George Washington got back on his horse and rode on. In the language and practice of the world, when the world is at its best, it's called being a servant leader. I've known and worked with and worked under people who have not only admired servant leadership but also aspired to such and modeled such. They blessed me and they blessed others. Unfortunately, the world, including these sort of United States of America these days, doesn't seem to be as blessed these days with as many who do admire and aspire to such. As greatness seems more and more often these days to be understood by many in the language of rising dominantly and even derisively in victory over others rather than serving the needs of others, which, if that is true, 
is to say that in ways that have nothing to do with money, but a lot to do with our souls, we as a world and as a nation are collectively poorer than we used to be. In the language and practice of the faith, when faith is at its best, it's called following Jesus. Not to be rewarded or noticed or applauded, but rather gratefully to pay forward to others in their need. The love and grace and healing and help which we know reached to that cross to reach to us in our deepest need. Unfortunately, it seems to me, too many of those who are the loudest about Jesus these days are loudest with things which, from where I sit, have nothing to do with Jesus, for they have nothing to do with love, which, if that is true, is to say that Christianity's collective public witness to a gospel rooted squarely in God's love and God's grace is poorer, <clears throat> poorer than it used to be. Which <clears throat> some might think means that these are therefore surely discouraging times to be the church. I choose to think otherwise. I choose to think that these days, when it is surely <laughs> plenty dark out sometimes, are the best opportunity we've ever had to be Christ's true church by serving, by loving, by going against the grains of hate and fear because ingrained upon us is the beautiful grain of God's grace. And in doing so, to shine in the dark not with shouts that say, okay, world, here I am, but rather with love, which, every time it's the real thing, says to the world, here's Jesus. For in him, oh, my goodness, greatness, is grace. Amen.